Welcome to the Dougie Love Podcast, The Return, where we looked into one episode of Twin Peaks Las Vegas, one episode at a time, every Wednesday after a new episode aired. And this episode looks at the whole series, collecting all the episodes from the old Dougie Love RSS feed so that it's all here in the Blue Rose Task Force podcast feed, too. Keep the Twin Peaks material all together, yeah? Um, I wanted to do an episode looking at everything Twin Peaks Las Vegas as a whole, like, you know, like I've been doing with Blue Rose Task Force, but, you know, time is what it is. And I at least wanted to put together what Ruminations Radio Network already did here on the show. For all you comics fans out there, you know, it kind of works like a trade paperback collection. Um... I'll I'll for sure do a deeper, uh, full spoiler look into these episodes after I get done with my coverage of the final dossier and the season three music. But I thought since Wisteria seems to finally be back in production, it felt like it was time to dive back in to that strange little sitcom experiment that could. Um, Twin Peaks Las Vegas, you know, that still actually hasn't been canceled by showtime mind you and um yeah i know it hasn't gone back into production either so i can see where the winds are blowing but you know hope springs eternal for it it could be back too you know after all it was uh covid protocols that are what put the brakes on it and i've heard that a rough outline for season two actually was figured out so i'm gonna assume that one day we're gonna hear that this thing's ready and that all the new episodes are filmed and you know sure everything everything saddled with the same kind of covid delays have already come and gone you know even russian doll season two and barry season three are officially older news now and it uh i don't know i mean it, it's you know, I'm I'm holding out hope a little bit. I mean, it makes me sad that people are already forgetting about Twin Peaks Las Vegas, uh, you know, like to do the access guide, basically. And I know Pierce Gagnon keeps getting older, so it's getting more and more unlikely that we're getting new episodes, but it's still not actually impossible. You know, if the return taught us anything, I think anything to do with Twin Peaks and its title uh, could come back to life at any time, even even if it's mostly about Las Vegas. And, you know, since Wisteria is on its way back into production, I'm going to manifest what I can for Twin Peaks Las Vegas. You know, I love the show. I don't want it to fade away. And I love rooting for the underdog. So here we go. Our entire output of recaps for season one of Twin Peaks Las Vegas. <laughs> Welcome to the Dougie Love Podcast, where we look into one episode of Twin Peaks Las Vegas, one episode at a time, every Wednesday after new episodes air. And this episode focuses on episode one, where Janie E. talks Dougie into trying out for NASCAR, and the Pink Girls take Sunny Jim on a nature study. We jump right into the show as Janie E. looks fiercely in a mirror. I timed eight seconds of silence before she momentums her way into her hysterical self-pep talk about how I deserve a life, a better life, in the fast lane, and my tiger can do this. I've seen him drive. He could beat all of them, and he'd look so good on camera, and so would I, honestly, though I'd need to straighten my hair and find a good rotation of three new pairs of shoes. Let's make sure to stop off at Levon's on the way home. That's how confident I am that uh, this thing is going to happen. And, you know, so on and so forth. And, you know, she's constantly adorable. And then she march bounces downstairs with the camera following her all the way to where Sunny Jim and Dougie are eating lunch. 
I love how Janie E. springs the you're going to drive in NASCAR plan on Dougie and doesn't even give him time to finish chewing his sandwich to answer. Not answering must be a way of saying yes, according to Janie E. You know, before she says, I know a guy as if it's already cleared to happen. Yeah, which, of course, it is, because two scenes later, we're looking at Dougie behind the wheel of a genuine NASCAR car. But we're not there yet, because though Janie E's entire kitchen monologue, or through uh, Janie E's entire kitchen monologue, she's also packing Sonny Jim's backpack and showing him, uh, shoving him out the door just before the Mitchum's limo even honks their horn. It's like Janie E is tapped into something, and the world's just working for her. This is a good choice for her character in this new pilot. Let it be known, this show treats Janie E. like a force of nature. A note about how this show is filmed. Right up until Janie E. walks past the coffee maker, it appears to be done all in one take, which is impressive. With the upstairs, or, <clears throat> excuse me, with the upstairs, downstairs, and the stairway included as it was, not to mention the street and limo seen from the front door, I think they're filming the Jones house scenes on location in a real house. As far as the rest of the show, I'll talk about Dougie and Sonny Jim halves of the episode one at a time, rather than bouncing back and forth between them like we see it. Anyone following the rest of our site's Season 3 analysis knows why Dougie would be driving the number 9 car, but on this show, no one makes a thing out of it at all, or even winks at it. I love how, even as a sitcom, Twin Peaks can work on multiple levels. It was honest fun to see Dougie with the hefty racing gloves clamped onto the steering wheel, and Janie E. needing to help him get his helmet on correctly. Some things never change, even though Dougie does a better job of acting like he's an active participant. It was an interesting choice to film the actual time trials from a fixed position, as if it's from the crowd seats where no one turns their head to follow the cars. The shot focused on the back half of the track, let the cars go through the frame until they're off camera. We hear them rumble through the, closed, or the closest part of the track without seeing them, and eventually the cars came back in the shot at the back of the course. I get that the show's going for the theme of cycles and circles, and the sound design made it feel like we were in the seats, but why keep the camera so still? There was so much action happening on the track itself, but most of everything in frame was static. It took going to the crowd shot near the end of the scene before anything was filmed like an action sequence, and then it was only to see Dougie's supporters be happy to cheer on Dougie while wearing ambiguous expressions as if maybe they didn't know if Dougie did well enough to qualify for a real race or not. Now, Sonny Jim had a much more peaceful day out with the girls on their nature study. Candy, Sandy, and Mandy particularly standing out uh, from the forest in their pink dresses. And I love how lush their hike scenes looked. The forest is different than the Pacific Northwest, but no less beautiful. The way Sandy spoke about all the flora and fauna around them, it sounded almost musical and slightly comical because she's describing all of the action, yet we see such stillness around them. If you told me Candy's random non-sequiturs would not be the highlight of the scenes she's in, I wondered if I would believe you, but Sandy carried the forest scenes ridiculously easily. I'm not sure how they're planning on characterizing Sonny Jim on this show yet. 
The comedy that came from him was mostly reaction shots as he almost laughs every time Sandy interrupts him. You can tell Sonny Jim loves when people are passionate about things. Did anyone else notice the shot of the ducks on the lake followed by the, the same kind of, or that they followed the same kind of formula as the NASCAR track shot? If you noticed, behind the picnic lunch scene, the ducks were actually swimming in a circle in and out of frame. Don't know how they got the ducks to do that. Almost wondered if they were somehow animatronic. The last scene was late that night, after the sun had gone down at least. Janie and Dougie come in from the garage after their what should have been celebration meal, both acting stuffed to the gills. Dougie seemed nonplussed about not making a spot on the racing team, but Janie was still fluffing up his ego anyway, for her own benefit, I assume. You could tell it revved her motor whether or not he could make a career out of that driving. And some of her innuendo is positively filthy, so we'll know she came to peace with the day's outcome. A slower-moving life will work for her just fine, after all, it seems. And before it veered too far off in that direction, the knock on the door led to one of the more endearing moments of the episode when Bradley Mitchum carries a fast-asleep Sonny Jim from the car to, her, the, to the boy's bedroom. Janie E. got to tuck him in, she and Dougie got to share a real sweet look, and as soon as the men exchange thumbs up and Bradley turns to leave, Janie E. looks up at Dougie and her expression changes from mom to tiger. Cut to credits and the most yakety sax inspired music I've heard in a long time. This pilot was character-based like any good sitcom, but it feels like it doesn't just want to be a sitcom. The whole show hits me in an Arrested Development way of bringing humor out of absurdity, but it all still has the look of paintings on the screen. Maybe it'll look less that way as the scenes won't always be outside in nature, though for Sandy's sake, I hope that they get some time outside so she can rhapsodize again. But based on how they filmed the outside of the house, I think this show is going to be gorgeous the whole way through. And before you ask, I have no idea why the Joneses' mailbox was focused on for so long. Maybe it's foreshadowing for the future, but it might just be a statement on an old system like sm snail mail, or maybe the shot could just be there for mood. There's lots of reasonable answers, so let's just wait and see before we turn it into a theory on life. If it comes to nothing, though, it'd be weird that they left it in the show with all the other stuff going on. We could have had another Sandy monologue about a different kind of butterfly or, you know, something uh, to go along with her take on squirrel hibernation. Sandy and Janie E. were obviously the standouts, but Phil Bisbee, who wasn't given a single line this whole show, deserves mentioning for getting into the spirit next to Bushnell, Janie E., and Sonny Jim in the NASCAR stands during the time trials montage. And his prop is classy already. The mustard yellow pennant and the lime green letters D and J was as glorious as it was hideous. I expect to see that for sale in the Showtime store one of these days, and I think I would even buy it when it gets here. A lot happens this first episode. Dougie's entire NASCAR audition and Sonny Jim's full day of nature study all over the course of the half hour, but it doesn't feel like much of anything happens in this pilot. Not sure what to make of this, other than there's a blatant repetition, 
whether it's in camera angles or specifically mentioned in dialogue, that says, slow down. My favorite of these being Dougie obeying the yield sign on the way to the audition and Janie E saying, oh, come on. The only thing I don't know about is that credit song. It's goofy as hell, but somehow not entirely incongruous. It could grow on me, or I could end up hating it. A truly confusing choice, however you look at it, but I'll take the show's advice and not jump to conclusions about it. When I heard it, when I heard the topic of this episode involved race cars, I was skeptical at first, but it turned out to be a cute show based around people who love each other. I'll take this little burst of compassion in a TV landscape otherwise filled with anti-heroes and monsters. Not sure where the dramatic tension will come from, though I suspect it'll be mostly from misunderstandings, but for a pilot, it introduced us to a status quo that I'm happy to return to. <laughs> Welcome to the Dougie Love Podcast, where we look into one episode of Twin Peaks Las Vegas, one episode at a time, every Wednesday after a new episode airs. And this episode focuses on episode two, where Dougie's bad dreams are affecting his work, and it's up to Sonny Jim and Janie E to help him get better sleep. This review is going to feel a lot more like a standard recap, because unlike the last episode, everything happens at the Jones house, except for one montage in the middle where we see Dougie at work as well as at home. The episode also exclusively follows one problem that needs solving. Dougie's bad dreams are making him lose sleep and it makes him look like he's having one of his episodes. But Janie E knows this is different than his normal episodes and so does Bushnell Mullins. And yes, I have seen all the concerned Bushnell face memes that have popped up. It makes me happy that he struck such a nerve with the audience, but instead of going over a list of my favorite people and things that the internet makes him worried about, I'm going to stick to what he said in the show. I'm going to tell it to you straight, Mrs. Jones. I'm concerned about your husband. Such a great line read. So glad it's a classic already. Even though the show starts with Sonny Jim playing on his backyard jungle gym, the first word, just like last episode, is from Janie E., who is inside calling him to answer the door. And the camera follows behind Sonny Jim as he gets off the gym and walks through the house to answer the door before zooming into that now classic close-up of Bushnell as he asks to speak to Sonny Jim's father, then patiently waits then patiently waits some more, and then asks his, if his mother is home. <laughs> so much waiting here for Janie E. and then for Dougie. So much calling out. Uh, so many variations of Dougie. It's Bushnell Mullins, and Dougie, it's your boss. As Janie E. gets more and more frustrated before they all walk through the house on a quest until they find him asleep in the living room. It was trying my patience, but then it skewed into really funny because it was trying the character's patience way more than mine. Asleep sitting up, Dougie had a strange look. He was almost straight up and down on that chair except for his head with his chin nested into his chest, not even noticing the TV that was on in front of him. Seems like he should have been snoring like crazy, but he wasn't at all. Bushnell looked at Dougie and said... It's this sort of thing. He's becoming unsafe. I worry about him driving. And Dougie wakes up with the exclamation of pigeons and ducks that made everyone in the room jump. 
Janie E. and Bushnell, Bushnell sit, uh, sit next to newly awake Dougie, just like Dougie was part of the conversation from the get-go, which leaves room for a ton of where am I expressions on Dougie's face. While Bushnell asks him to, to tell Janie E. how Bushnell found him this morning, and Bushnell gets to explain the list of how many different ways he'd found Dougie asleep at work the past week that built to a point where it felt like Big Ed describing how he shot out Nadine's eye. It was a real it was a really sweet scene overall with Janie E being maternal and Bushnell paternal toward their lovable lug. While in a nearby room, Sonny Jim provided a backbeat of crunching as he eats from a bag of potato chips. Though, you know, technically it could have been his mom's lettuce sandwiches. I assume with later developments, it's the chips. Before Bushnell leaves, he helps Janie E. get Dougie into bed. And then there's some uh, somewhat contrived, I hope dad gets better conversation between Janie E. and Sonny Jim that did a better job of explaining the stakes rather than pulling heartstrings. The scene abruptly ends with them both looking upstairs when Dougie screamed, then moves into the montage from here. So we get five days and a minute and a half. Janie E. told Bushnell that Dougie was having trouble sleeping for 10 days, so add five more based on the number of separate shots of him in bed in that part of the montage, and we know that Dougie's been having rough sleep for over two weeks. We see Dougie asleep at his desk, on his keyboard, in the lunchroom, on the photocopier, the glass wall, inside the elevator with Phil Bisbee bringing chairs and trying to keep him or help him into a more comfortable position in the most of these moments, uh, leaning up against his doctor during the checkup, in bed with wet towels on his forehead three times, and Janie E. at his bedside close to tears twice. She's she's so lovably overdramatic. We hear... The most dramatic opera music I've heard not involving an exorcism. It almost makes you think there's more at stake than a guy having a bad couple of weeks sleeping, but I guess that's absurd comedy for you. Dougie's obviously not doing too well, but he's really endearing to watch anyway, and I really hoped everyone would be able to help the guy. Going on and on to a sleeping Dougie about how out of sorts she is these days, Janie E. remembers that she ran out of bread for everyone's sandwiches, a Lucy-sized emergency. And she calls in Sonny Jim right away to her bedroom. He runs in so quickly like something was wrong that he's, uh, that he's still holding his game controller and giant potato chip bag. Janie E. tells Sonny Jim that he's the man of the house now until she gets back and then runs out the door, leaving Sonny Jim with a what just happened expression on his face. But you can tell he loves his dad and he sits next to him on the bed waiting for the next time Dougie wakes up in a panic, which of course he does almost right after Janie E. leaves. Dougie looks like he's a worried toddler and Sonny Jim didn't know exactly what to do, so he offers his dad a potato chip bag. In an endearing Charlie Chaplin movie kind of way, they end up eating a ton of, the, a ton of that bag. There is barely any dialogue between them, just a lot of love. You can tell the actors really get along well and that the characters do too. Dougie calmed down enough that he patted Sonny Jim on the shoulder before he falls asleep again. And I thought that might be all Dougie needed to kick the problem, but the bad dreams come back almost immediately. 
Sonny Jim puts the wet towel on his dad's head and sits with Dougie, but the only thing that worked is when he nervously ate a potato chip. And it worked the next time Dougie's bad dreams come back, too. Sonny Jim figured out the pattern just as Janie E. gets back home and pokes her head into the room. I left hard when her eyes narrow and were shown multiple extreme close-ups of the chip crumbs on the bed in progressively higher detail and size, but though she is obviously horrified, she figures out what the sounds of the chips were doing for Dougie before she can even yell at Sunny Jim. But then there is nothing but love on her face, and I could feel the relief inside me, too. When she takes that bag of chips and dismisses Sunny Jim for bed, I almost actually cried. She knows how she knows what helped her husband, knows that her son needed sleep for the next day at school, and knows what she needed to do. She brushes some crumbs off the bed because she can't help herself, and then she reaches into that bag of chips when Dougie started acting upset, and she crunches on those chips until he settles down. I got the impression she had to do that all night because the next scene is morning and Dougie wakes up with the biggest smile on his face and his arms outstretched. He looks great and he's happy. He is practically skipping he feels so much better and when he leaves for work, a happy but exhausted Janie E goes back upstairs. We hear but don't see her collapse on the bed and the scene cuts to credits. I love that the sound of crunching was what Dougie needed. It's not said out loud, but hearing someone nearby him seemed to be exactly what he needed, like a security blanket. As far as mysteries go, it was extremely low stakes, but as far as putting a family back in balance with each other, it was pretty sweet. Sonny Jim is endearing as hell, and so is Phil Bisbee, once again underused without any dialogue in the show. But Bushnell Mullins is the star this week as he inches closer to the ranks of the all-time best TV dads list. He's not there yet, but I at least think he's already on the best TV boss list. And he worked well with Janie E as well. More Bushnell in the show, please. As for Dougie's sake... I hope he never eats anything on the bed. I'm still not sure what to think of the goofy credits music, but I liked the overall vibe of the episode. It struck me like a one-act play, and the stakes were just about the right size for a half-hour show. It showed a Jones family who, was lo who loved each other, and their concerned support system showing the characters interacting with each other and solving problems is a pretty solid entertainment even if they do it like this every week, especially if it's those characters every week. It's official. I like visiting this Las Vegas. <laughs> Welcome to the Dougie Love Podcast, where we look into one episode of Twin Peaks Las Vegas, one episode at a time every Wednesday after a new episode airs. And this episode focuses on episode three, where Dougie needs to help the Mitchums when ex-supervisor uh, ex Burns returns with court papers and Sonny Jim thinks maybe his family is too weird. This episode starts with the establishing shot for the Silver Mustang before cutting inside, where ex-supervisor Burns storms through the row of slot machines. It's all very dramatic and comical as floor assistant Jackie ushers him as best, he, as best she can over to the supervisor, Warwick. Uh, we then cut to Warwick handing these papers to the Mitchums. And, you know, the Mitchums go back and forth. You know, now we got to kill him. Bradley, I think we can get through this. Yeah, we have to kill him. No, Bradley, I have a different idea. <laughs> 
And then it cuts to Sonny Jim and his friends playing video games in the living room while Dougie sits near them in an abs- in an assuredly still way. After half a minute, Dougie gets up and walks toward the kitchen. Sonny Jim's friends glanced at, glances at Dougie, acts disgusted, and says, Is there anybody in there? And then, Dude, Jimmy, I think we'll just play over Skype next time, okay? And then, I feel bad for you. This house still creeps me the hell out. So that friend just is not part of the program yet. Hopefully he gets there. The camera stays with Sonny Jim and his friend while in the other room we hear a knock at the door, then female voices, one of them Janie E, excitedly and loudly chatter. Dougie, who is walking back down the hall and about to take a bite out of a sandwich, gets enveloped by the pink girls, and then they pull him out of frame. Sonny Jim's unnamed friend, who didn't look at any of those interactions, says, Weird as hell, man. You gotta get out of here. Sonny Jim doesn't respond with words then either, but you can tell he's thinking about it. The camera follows him as he goes to grab sodas from the fridge, and on the way he he meets Philip Gerard, projected through the curtains over the sink window, who asks him, "Um, is your father home? (laughs) With the best comic timing of the episode. Before we figure out this is a Sunny Jim-centric episode, we move over to Dougie in the Mitchum's office. Supervisor Burns is seen on the floor. Monitor uh, is on. The, oh boy! Supervisor Burns is seen on the floor. Monitor, arms crossed and pouting. The Mitchum dialogue is great. We got you know, Dougie. We have a problem. We need your protect your, your particular set of skills. We need this guy to mellow the fuck out, Dougie. <laughs> Candy, take Dougie down to down there to Burns. You know, their dialogue is rapid fire and seem to be classic. And as Dougie is taken to Burns, we get their faces, implying that they're wordlessly asking each other if they think this is going to work or not at varying levels of nervous confidence. We then cut to the monitor where Burns is gesturing wildly and pointing at Dougie, who is now walking towards him because, of course, he remembers Mr. Jackpots. This is good stuff. We get the establishing shot of the silver Mustang next with the sun going down. Then it goes back to, into the Mitchum's office where they're positively nervous Nellies. Candy brings Dougie back in and there's more interactions. And, you know, we get Dougie saying he's high strung. Um, Brad says, what, or Bradley says, what did he say before he left? And, you know, we got Dougie saying, you know, he's clearly upset. And Rod says, is he going to drop it? And Dougie says, he's a really mad guy. And Brad's like, what did he say before he left? So it's like all this back and forth talking around each other. Candy, unable to contain excitement anymore, says they have a coffee date. And then with love oozing out of her delivery, cappuccinos. We get another hard cut, this time to Janie E and Dougie in a bed a la 80s sitcom staging and some overdramatic line reading. I'm going to have to go away for a while, Janie E. Bradley and Rodney need me. They've let Mr. Mullins know, and I'm not so I'm not sure how long it'll take, but I've got to put out a fire. <laughs> they discuss a little more, but once Janie E gets over the news, she ends the scene with, as long as you're my fireman first, and a growl. They're a cute couple for sure. The next day, we see Sonny Jim at school, 
talking to his friends about maybe doing something else after school at the friend's house. You could tell Sonny Jim was uncomfortable doing it, but he was probably rattled enough by the afternoon before that maybe his friend was right. To be fair, getting a surprise visit from Philip would probably freak anybody out, even a son of Dougie Jones. And Sonny Jim's friend was happy to hear the news. And the next thing we see is them playing video games together in a room with superhero movie posters all over the walls. They really look like they're having fun. And before the scene's over, a song kicks in like a Wes Anderson movie for the third montage in as many episodes. The montage scenes break down, they break down like this. Sonny Jim's outside with his friend, a frisbee lands at his feet, and then he grabs it and runs toward the uh, towards other kids their age. Sonny Jim is at what looks like a school lunch table with four other kids, and they're all talking to each other happily. Sonny Jim's at a Dave & Buster's-style arcade place with the same kids. They're at a coffee shop where Sonny Jim notices Dougie and Burns at a table. Dougie and Sonny Jim see each other, but Sonny Jim looks away like he doesn't want to be noticed, and Dougie looks a little stunned. And the montage, the montage song ends as it comes out into a bowling alley, which almost has a big, you know, it almost has to be a big Lebowski reference, but I can't prove it. In the bowling alley, we see the Mitchums shaking hands with Burns, and they're all wearing the same bowling shirts as Phil, Bushnell, Dougie, and Green Tea Latte Frank. While Bradley picks up a ball and heads down the lane, we see Janie E. and Sonny Jim come into a, you know come in to celebrate getting their father back from his mission. Burns comes over and tells them, Dougie Jones is a good man and you're lucky to have him. Janie E. beams, grabs her man by the arm, and Sonny Jim acts and em- em- <clears throat> Sonny Jim acts embarrassed. And then he cuts to the Joneses at an ice cream parlor. They're halfway through their cups of ice cream when Sonny Jim notices his new friend come in the door. Janie E. says, that, uh, they're your friends? You should say hi to them. And Dougie says, it's all right, Sonny Jim, and he smiles. I get the impression Janie E. didn't know anything about the awkward exchange her menfolk had, but Dougie seems genuinely happy about Sonny Jim having friends. After some hesitation, we see Sonny Jim walk over to his friends while the camera stayed back where the Joneses were sitting. Sonny Jim does fa- uh, fist bumps with other greeting moves uh, with some of the kids, and they all seem to be happy to see him. But then he waves bye to everyone and comes back to his family's table, and he gives Jan- uh, Dougie a hug right there in public. Janie E. gushes and says, I wish I could take that picture. <laughs> and Sonny Jim says, Mom, as we slowly cut to credits. A sweet damn moment. I was not expecting to see a Sonny Jim story like this, especially with Burns starting the episode. The Joineses have been so insular that it was hard to imagine what Sonny Jim was like outside of his role as her son. He seems like a good kid and right where he should be for that 12 years old range. And it was good to see him making friends and then being a kid in another way than playing on that jungle gym by himself. It was also nice to see a Dougie plot happen behind the scenes, too. We've seen him be a good influence on people since we've since we met him. So we didn't need to see the same thing happen yet again with Burns in order to believe something like the bowling outcome was anything but inevitable. 
Sonny Jim meeting Philip Gerard was played in such a slapstick way that it was great for laughs, but that's pretty interesting on a few fronts. First of all, it's not just Dougie who can see Gerard. And secondly, that means Gerard isn't done with Dougie after season three. No idea where this could go, but the choice to keep Gerard in the series is a choice I wasn't expecting at all. It's a sitcom, though, so maybe it'll just be a subversion of a wacky neighbor trope. It's tough to say with the sense of humor of the show. All I know is I love it and I want to see more of this guy. And more of green tea, uh, green tea latte Frank, too. It was great to see that happy guy. I'm getting kind of frustrated that Phil Bisbee keeps getting, you know, keeps being underused. But when he's when has the, you know, trying the viewer's patience not been a thing with Twin Peaks? And really, if that's my worst nitpick, that's not a bad viewing experience. As for the new character, I can't tell if Sonny Jim's friend is a good character or not, but his reaction to the Joneses were pretty funny in a way. If they keep him around, hopefully he'll get to accept them all. Otherwise, he'll start coming off as insufferable. Either way, until he gets an official name, I'm calling him Chad. Cappuccinos was the best line in the episode, and Burns really stole the show with his goofy reactions, but the Mitchums proved their strength with their back-and-forth dialogue. I hope they're around quite a bit in the episodes to come, and even though it was pure silliness, my favorite image from the show was everyone bowling in, uh, yeah, bowling in their shirts. It gave me a nostalgic Flintstones vibe, and if they had an entire episode in the bowling alley one day, you would never hear me complain. And maybe they could get Gerard on the team. Can you even imagine that guy in a bowling shoes? Until next time, let's meet down the street for cappuccinos. Welcome to the Dougie Love Podcast, where we look into one episode of Twin Peaks Las Vegas, one episode at a time, every Wednesday after a new episode airs. And this episode focuses on episode four, where the Joneses get a new dog, and Janie E. isn't having it. If the opening scene with that giant hairy dog just sitting there at the feet of the lawman statue didn't melt your heart, there's something wrong with your heart. I loved that dog immediately. And when Dougie walks up next to him and checks for a collar, I, I didn't want that dog to be with anyone but the Joneses. Needless to say, I was thrilled to see the dog bound into the house and immediately be taken with Sonny Jim. You can tell Sonny Jim loves him immediately, and you can also tell the dog loves him immediately. Sonny Jim and Dougie's excited chatter about their new friend was really endearing too. But then Janie E. comes home, the dog stands on her shoulders, and he looks like he's in love. And the five seconds of what is going on that was all over Janie E.'s face was solid comedy leading up to the neighbors definitely heard that. Dougie! <laughs> Next thing we see is the dog at the vet with the family, because as Janie E. was telling us, he at least needs his shots before the mongrel finds another home. It's the responsible thing to do. There wasn't much comedy here since it was furthering the dilemma of the episode, but there was the glaring fact that no one was saying anything about. The vet is the same actor who played Dougie's doctor, and I swear he was even wearing the same uniform. And after the doctor declares the dog in good health as well as microchip free, we see everyone look at Janie E. Hard cut to the next morning, Sonny Jim goes to school. 
Dougie goes to work, and Janie E. stays home with the dog, who wags his tail whenever he sees her. She takes him all over in the car looking for a new home. He thinks it's a grand adventure, but it's only so Janie E. can pawn him off on somebody, which she cheerfully tells him is because her house needs to be to stay free of dog hair she takes the dog to the pink girls first and it was great how they exploded like young girls meeting a teen idol in person mandy's goo goo gaga baby talk was especially endearing as was candy running in with a cereal bowl ready to be turned into a water bowl in her outstretched hand like it was an olympic torch i think the girls were going to give the dog a hairstyle if not for the arrival of the mitchums and their kiboshing of the whole situation Rod being allergic to dogs is uh, is a cop-out as far as I'm concerned, but I'll allow it since Janie E. had to go through a number of dead-end options for the episode's drama. She calls Phil on the phone, and we get his first lines of the series, which are, Sorry, Mrs. Jones, but I can't have dogs in my apartment or I'd be thrown out on the spot. It's not much of Phil, but it was so good for the heart hearing him today. It's pretty fitting we get more of his presence in the episode that introduces the dog, too. They're kindred spirits, if anyone in this extended cast could be. Janie E. also calls two friends, one she calls Beth and someone else who goes unnamed. It's good to see she has friends, even if they're only voices on the other end of the line so far. Everyone has their excuses for why the dog has to stay with Janie E, so she drives up to the pound with her happy co-pilot who frolicked through the parking lot on their way in. This dog was tugging on my heartstrings the entire length of the show. I'm a big softy, and I didn't want him to go in there at all, but it was all worth it when we saw that floating dream bone image over the crate's lock. The crate's door opened up when the dog tried to get the imagery of the bone, and then the dog hopped right out. Is this the strange? <laughs> this is the strangest show, but how can you not love it? It's great to see the dog's head from the car's back window as he's running behind the car, and Janie E tries out her random stories so that she could, you know, tell her menfolk about what happened to their lost dog. And it was a dramatic moment of genius not to show the dog's head again when she turns the car onto a new street, as if maybe she'd lost him for real. But, but you know, by the time that she's home, Janie E's acting slightly conflicted. She opens the back door of the house and practices her speech. Good heavens, the dog must have gotten out. I drove everywhere to look for him, but couldn't find him anywhere. And like clockwork, the dog walks right past her and flops onto the living room carpet. She lets the dog stay because Sonny Jim arrived then and asked her, Can we keep him? She says in absolute terms, This dog will fit into someone's family well, but not ours. But then it's later on, nearing the end of dinner. The guys head over to the couch for dessert, and the dog flops down with them, making a pile. By the time she's done setting up the trays, she looks back in while making her menfolk plates, and she looks like she realizes something. She serves Sonny Jim his ice cream and cake, she serves Dougie his ice cream and cake, and she scritches the dog on the head. Goofball credits music.
The dog is adorable. The soulful eyes and the giant tongue and the shaggy everything is almost too much. An animal can't fake that kind of happiness either. I'm surprised his butt waggle hasn't been turned into a gif yet like Corgi's, but, you know, it's only a matter of time. I'm glad Janie got to appreciate her menfolk together like that and realizing that the dog was part of the lovable oddball family already. Her hijinks were massively entertaining, and despite her actions, I don't think she's a mean-spirited lady. She just has trouble adjusting when something comes up she's not and that she's not expecting. She gets focused on her own stuff fairly easily, same as it ever was, and concern over a clean house made her tunnel vision until that she couldn't help but notice the love in the room. She's still majorly entertaining, if myopic. And she worked with the dog really well. A big shaggy thing like that standing on her shoulders, it's amazing it didn't drop her. Janie E is physically a powerhouse, too. I don't know who Beth and Janie's other friend is, but I'm glad to know she has a larger life than whatever she does in the house, which the show is strangely vague about now that I think about it. It's also telling that Janie called Phil. He's definitely a friend of the family, which makes me really happy. This was definitely a Janie E-centric episode and an origin story for the dog, but the best standout moments were with Sonny Jim and the dog. A boy and his dog is a major thing with these two. You can tell already, or at least I sure hope it is. Welcome to the Dougie Love Podcast, where we look into one episode of Twin Peaks Las Vegas, one episode at a time every Wednesday after a new episode airs. And this episode focuses on episode 5, where the Joneses have an accident on the road when Dougie accidentally rear-ends an old girlfriend. Look out, Jade! The show begins as Dougie is driving the whole family, dog included, to play frisbee at the park. Everyone's happy, there's pleasant guitar strumming in the soundtrack, and it feels like it was going to be a good day. But then Dougie turns to look at his son instead of the road, says... You know, Sonny Jim, back in my day, I was pretty good with a Frisbee. And immediately there's a bang because he's rear-ending the car in, in front of him. Dougie was classy about making sure everyone was okay, even asking the dog, Harry, you're all right? The yellow Jeep may not have been an immediate tip-off to everybody, but suspicions were confirmed when Jade got out of the car. Dougie smiles, says, Jade, are you all right? Janie E's eyes narrow and she says nothing. Everyone gets out of the car and moves around to shake off the accident, and while Dougie looks at the damage, Harry puts his front paws on Jade, and Janie E's first verbal sound is mmm. Completely classic. Her sound, of course, uncorks a massive explanation of we were supposed to go to the park in an episode-long refrain that reminds me so much of Dante and Clerk saying, I wasn't even supposed to be here today. And she overly explains to Jade that they were going as a family and that she is Dougie's wife. And Sonny Jim is our loving son. She also makes sure to tell Harry that the Joneses are your family too, you know. The next scene is that night at the Jones home, and you can tell Dougie's still in the doghouse with Janie E over the whole Jade thing, even though Jade couldn't have been classier about the accidental crossing of paths, or that Dougie showed nothing overly creepy toward Jade at all, despite their past history. 
It was funny, though, as Dougie thought about interjecting a couple of times before deciding to close his mouth and stay quiet. The next afternoon, Dougie goes around a nearby moving van and pulls up in the driveway in an unfamiliar car. He gets out of the driver's seat, and Latte Frank gets out of the passenger seat to get back behind the wheel, happily calling out to Janie E. Your husband really likes to drive, which really starts her off on the wrong foot and got me expecting an I bet he does or the like. Next is that establishing shot of the Jones house with the mailbox in prominent view. Dougie and Harry come out the front door while a song with a whistling melody begins that reminds me of the Andy Griffith show. And I swear, deep in the sound mix, there's a lady audibly catcalling which matches really well with the one neighbor lady practically tripping as she hauled ass outside with her watering can, or the man down the road with the hose maintaining a little too much eye contact, or the woman who forgot something in her car just in time to squeal, Dougie! All of this was happening as we watched through the window with Janie E., her expression fluctuating between that's right and that's my show pony back off. Though the only thing she's ac- she's actually muttering out loud is, we were supposed to go to the park. Janie E.'s jealousy was adorable, and the concept of obliviously happy Dougie being known as a sex symbol of the neighborhood cracked me up. It's a lot more plausible here than his catatonic attraction powers from season three, and you can tell he's not interested in the attention, so the scenes become entertaining rather than making us worry about any actual temptation afoot. Proven with his, they're just being friendly, said completely with upturn that expressed he does not compute understanding of Janie's observation. It was also pretty funny that as Dougie got back to the front door, Janie E. rushed out and ushers him in, saying, get inside before the new neighbor sees you. And when she's back inside the house, she says, Sonny Jim, you're going to walk Harry from now on, okay, mister? Though, after Dougie goes off to another room, Janie E. gets a view outside the window, presumably of the new neighbors, and she quietly says, oh, and blushes. The rest of the getting ready for dinner scenes go, and you can tell that Janie E. is a little confounded. She barely speaks, seems way less steamed, and you can tell she was pondering something big time. Dougie comes over to her in his most straightforward lawman-style delivery, yet that in his most straightforwardly lawman-style delivery, and says, Janie E., I only have eyes for you. Jade's not coming back, and I'm not interested in old girlfriends. That part of my life is behind me now. I know it bothered you, but I only need you and Sonny Jim in my heart now. Oh, and this scruffy guy, too, and he pets Harry on the noggin. You can tell Janie E. melts during this and begins to gush quickly and verbally, talking about how she shouldn't worry about the neighbor, the neighborhood finding you rightly attractive, or how you've had a downright tumultuous past because I know you're a family man, etc. And, uh, you know, she even goes into understanding how crushes are harmless anyway, and the Dougie can only help how attractive you are as much as the new Mr. Neighbor can, which perked up Dougie. And she keeps going on and on and so on and so forth until the doorbell rang, and she says, and I am going to get the door now. I love you, Dougie Jones. And Janie E. indeed opens the door to a person we aren't shown, but the voice says, Hello, we're your new neighbors, the Coopers. 
We're just across the street and wanted to introduce ourselves. Janie E. smiles, begins introducing the family, and the camera moves to Dougie, then close-ups of Janie E. pleasantly talking, but with no sound. You can tell Dougie is admiring her, and it hit me right in the feels. It's a really sweet show. While Janie E. is still talking at the door with the unseen Mrs. Cooper, Sonny Jim walks in, looks out the window, and says, Who is that? Dougie looks and says, Oh, the new neighbors must have a daughter your age. You should say hello to her if you see her at school. I bet that would make her feel really welcome. The last shot of the show is Sonny Jim still looking out the window with a slight blush on his cheeks. So being a Twin Peaks sitcom, I can't help but be fascinated by the last uh, by the last name of the new neighbors. Is this one of those Mike and Bobby, Mike and Bob things, or how how there were a ton of random Bills and Williams in season three? Any other show? It wouldn't make me do this, but you have to wonder. Is Dale Cooper the Jones's new neighbor? And who is the wife? I'll put in a vote for the first name Annie, just to ruffle all you shippers' feathers. However, all that in-show theorizing will go, or however all that in-show theorizing will go, I'm glad the grown-ups in this show have harmless puppy love at worst. I love that the love in the Jones home is built like a rock. Maybe it can be toyed with for a day. But then it straightens itself out. I'm really glad they handled Janie E's jealousy the way they did. You can tell she actually feels trust for Dougie now. And um, it's obvious to all of us that the OG Dougie Tulpas over <laughs> the OG Dougie's Tulpas overindulgent days of the past is 100% left in the past. The Dougie born from season three is the only Dougie left, and Janie E. knows it. That's all excellent character work, but even better than that is Sonny Jim's full-on crush at the end, which is beyond endearing. I hope he gets to meet the neighbor girl sooner than later, but I bet that'll get dragged out like, like crazy, just to make our hearts need it to happen, and to keep any parent identities under cover as well. This show's shaping up to have a continuity to it, even if a main plot gets wrapped up in each episode in traditional sitcom fashion. And I think I like the continuity being there. Even though hard transition from Sonny Jim's sweetness to the goofy circus-like closing credits music was jarring and didn't work at all, it didn't take me out of it enough to depreciate any of the happiness I got from enjoying the Joneses and their giant dog interacting together. I'm also enjoying how every week the show goes where it goes. I don't ask much from it besides to take me along with the Joneses, but next week, I really want to see Sonny Jim talking to that girl. <laughs> Welcome to the Dougie Love Podcast, where we look into one episode of Twin Peaks Las Vegas, one episode at a time, every Wednesday after a new air episode airs. And this episode focuses on episode six, where Janie E. and the Pink Girls have a spa day while the boys try to function at home without them. The first shot is of Harry sitting on the floor and the camera at the height of a cameraman looking down at him. Then we see Philip Gerard half apparated into the house, recoiling from Harry like a vampire. He darts his head around looking for anyone remotely corporeal to take care of this dog, and eventually, in a classic exasperated line delivery, says, I cannot help you. 
Gerard's awkwardness is amazing comedy, and I love how Harry does not break eye contact with him. The scene holds on just long enough that I belly laugh when the Twin Peaks Las Vegas title sequence kicks in. Best cold open of the seasons, hands down. Next, we have a more expected Jones living in the in the living room scene with Dougie and Janie E present, as well as the three pink girls. And Janie E kisses Dougie on the way out, giving him instructions on when she'll be back, 3 p.m., so everything should be fine. She'll miss Dougie and her little man, which she shouts to an out-of-room Sonny Jim, and a hurried but loving goodbye. She continues to chatter, this time with Candy on the way out the door. The ladies are definitely talking about a TV competition, and I'm pretty sure they're recounting scenes from The Bachelor because they mention the word journey, and and they say he is definitely not here for the right reasons. This episode has just been gleeful. And it even continues the hairy gag when he tries to catch Janie E's attention on the way out the door. His sigh at the door as the door closes and the house was immediately quiet was fantastic. Dougie looks around, gets up, then methodically goes over to look into the fridge. There's a subbed-in tummy grumble uh, sound for him, and Dougie doesn't take anything out of the fridge, and he really looks flummoxed. Harry comes over, looks at Dougie, then looks at the looks at his food bowl. There's a dramatic shot of his empty food dish, and back to Harry looking at Dougie again, a sound effect of two tummy grumbles. So good. Then we see Sonny Jim coming down the hall. He says, Snacks? Dougie shrugs, and Harry drops his bowl at Sonny Jim's feet. There is such great physical comedy timing this episode, and I'm eating it up. More of this, please. We then see Janie E and the girls at the spa. They hear what kind of pampering they're going to get. Pink robes are handed out, except for Janie's yellow. And all four ladies look excited. And Candy says something entirely bawdy. Did she mean it? Who knows? Back at the Joneses' house, the camera is from inside the refrigerator's point of view as Dougie and Sonny Jim are looking into it like it was empty. An excellent touch is the sound of Harry chowing down on his food in the background. Not much you can eat without preparing it, Sonny Jim says, and Dougie mouths but does not say audibly, call for help. In the back of the shot, Sonny Jim's unnamed friend, who I'm still calling Chad, walks in and says, Snacks? This episode is relentless with its dry-running jokes. We're back at the spa. We see the women's heads, or should I see hairstyles, with three visible pink neck towels and one yellow as they lay on massaging tables in front of us. They talk while we watch masseuses place hot stones and drizzle oil on their backs. Mandy talks about her happy place, thinking about horses running through fields, and then of her riding with them. Have you ever tried it? Sandy says no, but talks about being outside, how when she's at work, she sometimes just stands around and watches the birds out the window, pretending to be up there with them. She could watch them for hours, just imagining how the wind carries her carries their wings, flying like they're... But, you know, then Sandy does a Madeline Kahn and Young Frankenstein impression with, uh, with when her masseuse leans in on a particularly receptive place on her back. Candy says she's always at peace, which I believe. And Janie E says, you know what? I know it's corny, but I really love my family. I can do what I want when I want to do it, like today. 
I can be my own woman, and I never have to worry about my men. Everything's good. Our son still wants to spend time with us, and my husband, he's had his issues before, but he's in a good place now. We're in a good place. I trust my Dougie with everything. So, of course, we get an immediate scene with Dougie and the boys in the living room uh, talking snack options. Chad's on his phone consulting the Internet, and they're all ruling things out by level of complication. I'm not sure, but I think Dougie's eyes crossed when Chad was describing how to prepare a salsa before the step when it gets chopped up. The doorbell rings, and it's back to the old-school comedic timing gags. You know, someone's here to save them, right? It's the Mitchums. They always have the answers. What do they say? You got anything to eat? The girls left before lunch, and we're out of cereal. (laughs) (laughs) We're back at the spa. It's a peaceful music interlude with a shot from above of the women laying on their backs and slowly floating. Very Coen Brothers down to the choreography. The women drift off toward each other and then pass each other while wearing towels that cover their torsos. Red lights from below the water changed to purple, then blue, then to yellow. I initially thought the ladies were wearing sunglasses, but it's those green pouch things that you can wear on your eyes for rejuvenation purposes. Silence from them. Classical music in the score for us. Peace. And then a dramatic cut and loud, frantic, multi-voice planning session at the Joneses' house. The frustrated Mitchums are talking about how you bake a fucking cake. <laughs> and uh, Bradley, after glancing at the boys, says, sorry, a freaking cake or a goddamn steak with the honey rub. Was it honey? Uh, Rodney, Rodney will say, yeah, that's what Candy said it was. And Bradley says, a honey rub for a steak. <laughs> These guys are amazing with their comedic timing still. Fast back and forth interplay with so many little details of how they could better live their lives that I'm sure I missed a ton of nuance because I was too busy smiling. The scene kept going, even with Chad playing a video game on the couch while contributing comments. Sunny Jim was the only quiet one, pining out the window through the chaos. It was genuinely hard to hear everyone's words until a doorbell, and it was Phil Bisbee at the door. All sense of reality leaves in a yellow, and a yellow spotlight swings on to shine directly on him because he has groceries. Harry puts his paws on his shoulders immediately. Things are looking up. Oh, back to the spa and more ladies pampering time. More conversation, too. This time, an entire row of multicolored toenails and feet up to the ankles, soaking in tubs. The camera only has one woman's feet in frame at a time, and it moves to the feet of all the women, talk, you know, the, the woman who's talking as quick as it can, but the camera is still pretty slow. It can't keep up, and after a while, it just stops, stopping on Sandy's feet. Shoulder neck rubs are being suggested by a masseuse, and the scene ends with her feet happily swaying as she makes a quieter and more adorable version of the Madeline Kahn singing voice from earlier. The scene fades and then comes back to the Jones house. The ladies all walk in through the front door, and Janie E says, Oh my goodness, what is that wonderful smell? The guys are all hanging out in that front area of the house. Bradley and Rodney are watching Chad play his game, trying to understand. And Sonny Jim is trying to teach them what's going on. Dougie is sitting royally nearby in his big chair. Steaks, he says to Janie E. And pie. 
plates are near everywhere. They obviously ate well, and Phil is in the shot back in the kitchen, cleaning the dishes like a madman, happily. Phil Bisbee in action puts all the Food Network hosts to shame, apparently, based on the empty plates and the amount of dishes lined up to dry. And Janie E. says, did you serve asparagus? And Phil says, yes, I did. Janie E. says, how, do you, how did you get my guys to eat that? And he says, I spread olive oil on it, sprinkled some salt, and baked it for seven minutes. You know, there's a number of quick recipe tricks like that, all in quick succession. I'm going to have to see if they work. It all sounded pretty amazing, honestly. And before he was packed up, though, the oven dings. And he says, the pie is ready, Phil says. And uh, he looks at Harry and says, come on, helper, get everybody out here and let's have a look. Oh, these guys, I tell you what. Uh, Harry happily barks like Lassie and does it, hurting everyone over. The last shot is from the pie's point of view in the oven, mirroring the fridge shot from earlier. The oven opens, and Phil is there in the center, with the Joneses around him, with Chad, Mitchums, and girls around the, end, uh, around the edges. Even Harry is in one of the corners. Every single one of them is looking upon it with pure joy and longing. We never see the pie, but we can tell it's glowing. You can tell it's one hell of a pie. And Janie E says, heavenly. Harry audibly licks his chops, and then we get a hard cut to credits and the goofy music. The This entire episode was an absolute delight. I stopped looking for big themes almost right away when I knew it, there were, there were going to be running gags with Harry looking for someone to feed him, and it kept rewarding me with the timing of the comedy throughout. I guess if I had to call out anything as a theme, it's taking care of yourself and being taken care of. It's a creature comforts kind of episode, but the farce is exactly the kind of enjoyment that made me stop worrying about big picture stuff. It was fun the whole way through and kind of felt like the show was pampering us too between the fun enjoyment of watching the boys go full on farce and the vicarious spa treatment in the ladies scenes. It seemed, it, it seemed perfectly rotated between the calmer and the laughter. And yeah, I mean, this was just plain nice. I'm glad the pink girls got their voices out this episode and that we got to hear some inner Janie E rather than just the strong person that serves as the glue that holds the Joneses family together. The Mitchums owned their scenes per usual and Sonny Jim's unnamed friend brought out their inner Uncle Buck vibes. Uh, it was really endearing to watch them try to understand kids these days. You know, their, their outrage of being hungry coupled with trying to be gentlemanly around the kids was a great push and pull. Uh, so much kinetic action happened at the Joneses' house, but I can't feel, and, you know, I, I can't let myself forget that Philip Gerard was in the cold open. The Mitchums stole their scenes, but nobody deadpans better than the one-armor. It's been a few hours since I watched this episode, but the need for apple pie is still undeniable. This episode makes me want a slice of pie more than any Twin Peaks from the past couple of years. I feel positively refreshed and optimistic. Let's go bake a pie. Welcome to the Dougie Love Podcast, where we look into one episode of Twin Peaks Las Vegas, one episode at a time, every Wednesday after a new episode airs. And this episode focuses on episode seven, where Sonny Jim starts a dog walking business to meet the neighbor girl, but gets help instead from the Polish accountant. 
The episode begins with the now classic mailbox shot, except Sonny Jim walks into frame from the sidewalk and he checks the labels on two small boxes and one medium-sized one. Then he picks them up and brings them inside the house. Janie E. is inside and she's excited to see the boxes. She tells him how she's discovered a no-questions-asked 30-day return policy and that she is planning to gently use so many things. And with a twinkle in her eye, she says, think smarter. (laughs) Sunny Jim is somewhere between bemused and unimpressed, but, you know, takes the dog for a walk. He and Harry leave out the door. And this time, then it time lapses right to their return. And through the window, we see the Cooper's car pulling up across the street. Sonny Jim watches longingly as Mr. Cooper and his daughter get out of the car. Sonny Jim shows the leash to Harry as if to go outside again quickly. But Harry's just been outside and he's just outside the kitchen licking his chops and his food bowl has a spotlight on it in the back of the shot. Really well-composed depth of field. I can't get a shot like that. Uh, you know, you can't get a shot like that on a set, and it's a nice advantage of filming in a real house. By the time Sonny Jim acknowledges Harry won't go back outside, the Cooper's front door closes, and you can see the longing on Sonny Jim's face in close-up. And it holds on him as we see resolve happening. He says quietly, think smarter. We see him later at a table, drawing a rudimentary map of the neighborhood using squares for houses and parallel lines for streets, and he draws dog bones on some of the houses. Meanwhile, in the background, we see Janie E. positively fawning over things that she takes from boxes. There's a pink and pastel green clothes uh, she puts up against herself and takes up most of the time, But, you know, it cuts while she's lifting some sort of golden egg sculpture from a box like Indiana Jones lifting an idol. It was cute by itself, but the camera cutaway made it into a good laugh. Next, the montage scene returns with a vengeance, and we get Sonny Jim casing the neighborhood while playing behind him is the music from Sonny Jim and the Pink Girls nature study scene, this time with an added swishy percussion. It felt very Wes Anderson. There was dialogue over this montage as well, as Sonny Jim spoke to people at their front doors. We get the woman neighbor saying, You're Dougie Jones's boy, aren't you? Of course you can walk pork chop. A male neighbor says, Saves me the trouble. Sure, Sonny Jim. Uh, um, Another woman neighbor, she says, An excellent idea. I'd love to help with your business. What are you saving up for? Uh, Any any son of Dougie Jones can walk my dog, says another one. And the Polish accountant says, I have dog. (laughs) Then uh, another woman neighbor says, Aren't you sweet? Yes, you may. And yeah, the montage ends with Sonny Jim getting home just in time to see the Coopers pulling up in their driveway again. And he's frustrated, but he studies his watch, memorizing the time. The montage music starts up again, this time with a sliding trombone melody into the mix. It's the next day, and Sonny Jim gets home, brings in more boxes, starts his dog walking route, and we see him up and down the... the Oh, boy. We see him up and down the Cooper's sidewalk, walking dog after dog. Harry, a Labrador, German Shepherd, a Corgi, a Dachshund, and a mutt that looks like a fire plug. But no Coopers. 
Sonny Jim studies his watch regularly. Then music's still going. He finally gets inside his house, and then we get the Cooper's car arriving. You could tell Sonny Jim wanted to say "arg" in, in the most Garfield way possible, but he calms down because his dad passes through the path of open boxes with a plate while still happily munching on a snack. The montage music is still going, and it's the next day, and we get a muted trumpet now dueling with the trombone. This time, Sonny Jim gets home with the boxes, and the Coopers pull up then. Sonny Jim is trying to get Harry's leash, and then Harry, through the mess of open boxes filled with temporary Janie E. catnip, and he runs past Philip Gerard, who is in the hallway, looking confused about the boxes. Gerard tries to talk to Sonny Jim, but only gets shouted at. Not now, Philip. <laughs> Gerard seems frustrated, but we leave him behind, and we never get to hear what he was there for. But damn, that was funny. And damn, Sonny Jim knows his name. Huh. Uh, then it's the same montage shot as the, as the day before, but much faster paced. And the Coopers do not go back outside to their car for any reason whatsoever. Then there's quick moments of the neighbors thanking Sonny Jim and closing their door after he's done with their walks, and all but the Polish accountant anyway. And then he says, seem down, what is wrong? Uh, the music stops and Sonny Jim says, you know, this isn't working out the way I thought it would. And, you know, the Polish accountant says, you use chair and welcomes Sonny Jim into his home. So first things first, the dog of the Polish accountant, who's who near maddeningly remains unnamed through this entire episode, is the dachshund, who I absolutely want to bring home to my own dachshund. And that dog sits to the right of Polish accountant very regally, and he looks to he he looks like the exact perfect mismatch to the enormous man, which comes off as endearing. And then the dog trots inside and sits next to a chair as if he's showing Sonny Jim where to sit. Then, when Sonny Jim doesn't immediately move, a bark. <laughs> You know I have to interrupt here. The TV is on inside the house, and I need to point out how how the silly local ad for the Silver Mustang Casino is using the closing credits music as its soundtrack. The weird tone of the ending music used in this ad that had visuals of the Pink Girls and Mitchums doing a conga line against the green screen made so much more sense here than at the end of the episodes. I have no idea if it helps justify the usage of it at the end of the show or not, but, you know, it's cornball nature here is perfect for the conga line ad. I'm gonna. I, I'm going on YouTube next to see if anyone has a full version of the ad. I'm sure hopes. I'm sure hoping so, because I'm confident it's stacked with more show Easter eggs. Back to this show, uh, public accountant's house is well lit with a lot of open windows, and he and Sunny Jim have a nice conversation. I don't know if the show is setting up public accountant to be a Yoda-like figure, but his advice to Sonny Jim is to be proactive and just walk up to her, say hello, ask her about things that he sees her holding on to. It's incredibly simple, not at all creepy, and told with a comedic cadence. You know, has bracelet? Ask about it. Maybe from boyfriend, maybe from mother. Good information. <laughs> I like this guy. Yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him around more. 
Anyway, Sunny Jim heads back home. The living room has effectively become shelves for more and more products. Uh, we see golf clubs, clothes draped over couches, random things, more clothes, a stylized walking cane for some reason, uh, hang, uh, you know, hang on the wall paintings. Uh, Sunny Jim just ignores all of it and keeps looking out the window, saying to himself some of public accountants' advice. Keep it simple. One word after one word. After one word. Uh, then he jump scares because a frazzled-looking Janie E. comes up behind him and says, 30 days is almost up. His verbal expression of surprise, like, oh man, mom, uh, made me think of Leave it to Beaver. And Janie E. snaps out of her panic and says, you're right, Sonny Jim, I need some help. <laughs> Which he didn't say. At that moment, across the room... Dougie pops into the scene, smiling at her like Paul Rudd and Romeo and Juliet, and keeps walking. Janie E. misses no beats and takes out her phone, saying, Sometimes you just have to swallow your pride and ask for what you need. <laughs> and next scene we see is later on in a much tidier living room with Janie E. and the Pink Girls, and they're all packaging up everything really nicely. There's box tape and teamwork, and they're chattering while clearing the way. Sunny Jim takes a box from Mandy, moves it to the other side of the room with other nicely stacked boxes near the door, and says, Oh, man. Through the window, we can see all three Coopers walking into their house from their car, but this time Sonny Jim gets up, walks out that door, and the camera follows behind him as he crosses the street all the way up to the Coopers' door, all the way up to him ringing the doorbell, and it cuts to credits music. This time, the credits music is the montage music again, with a saxophone in the mix with trumpet and trombone. It was very similar to Dance of the Dream Man in tone this time, and so much more welcome than the normal joke music that already showed up in the episode. This was a highly welcome shift for me, especially considering the circumstances, and makes me wonder if this is a part one of two in terms of Sonny Jim and the neighbor girl. I can't wait to see how it turns out for Sonny Jim. I'll predict right here that if he's smiling in his next scene, that means it went well, and if he's sullen, that means we know where the dramatic tension will come from. Hope the you know for the hopefully only next few episodes. I want that guy to be happy. It was really funny to have Dougie barely in the story and to use him just for random appearances of doofy charm, messing with the tone from episode to episode, having him sometimes goofy and sometimes highly confident keeps things off balance in a good way. You just never know what you're going to get with Dougie Jones, but it's always a gift. And from the tone of some of those neighbor ladies this episode, they completely agree with me. <laughs> I love how Janie E and the Pink Girls have really formed a unit of friendship in this show. It's probably my favorite element of the show so far, if nothing else for the fact that the Pink Ladies have actual voices. It's always a good thing to have female friendships shown positively and not at all focused around the lives of men. Now we just need to hear the Cooper's daughter say a line or two, or, you know, at least get a full name. Hopefully we'll get to hear what she has to say next time. We're rooting for you, Sonny Jim. <laughs> Welcome to the Dougie Love Podcast, where we look into one episode of Twin Peaks Las Vegas, one episode at a time every Wednesday after a new episode airs. And this episode focuses on the Twin Peaks Las Vegas Halloween special where Janie E. plans a seance after she accidentally meets Philip Gerard in her house. 
the lighting was a little darker this week on set, and I, su- I suspect it's because the Jones home was being filmed as if it were part of a horror movie. Even though Philip Gerard had been around as a wacky neighbor type in previous episodes, he gets to play a genuine spooky uh, a genuine spooky ghost this week, thanks to his interactions with one Janie E. Jones. The show starts with Janie E. Parading, parading through the house, primping all her Halloween decorations as she goes. She says three days as she pats witches on their hats, and when she fluffs the bow tie of her skeleton butler... She leans right up to his face and growls, simply terrifying to him proudly. Then she goes into the laundry room, picks up some red curtains, tablecloths, you know, red curtains style tablecloth from the dryer, walks down the hallway, and is confronted by Philip Gerard's presence right in front of her. Her eyes go huge. He seems baffled, and after you could count a hard five, four, three, two, one, she screams. He screams as well, with frightened hissing noises mixed in. And even though he's shot like a true horror movie monster, he reminds me of a perturbed raccoon. Janie E. drops the tablecloth and runs with arms swinging warrior princess style through Philip, which makes her stop shouting once she notices what's happened. Next, we see the outside of the Jones house where Dougie is in the yard carving one of two giant pumpkins the size of something you'd see on Halloween Wars. From inside the house, we can hear Janie E's Dougie, which she continues as Dougie looks up and tracks her all the way to the car, which she starts and drives away in. Sonny Jim puts his head out the window upstairs and asks, is mom okay? Dougie doesn't say anything, but his phone rings, and Janie E. says, Get Sonny Jim out of the house. The whole exchange is very trope-fueled in a fun way, and as she tells Dougie, there is a dirty bearded man inside of our house who is quite possibly a ghost. Janie E. is being shown from a dash cam that would be perfect in a genuine scary movie. Dougie picks up on her seriousness, grabs a yellow gourd like a club, and keeps his carving knife in his other hand as he goes inside. When he sees Philip in the hallway, it goes right back to comedy lighting. Gerard acts sheepish, and Dougie sighs before he says, It's okay, Sonny Jim, nothing's here. And Philip delivers a cryptic line. Spirits in three days. Time will be upon this. But Dougie interrupts him. Philip, it is today, not three days from now. And today, I need you out of this house. You've scared my wife. And Philip says, electricity will draw them. And Dougie says, presently, Philip. (laughs) and philip says beware and then he mugs for the camera as he is as his opacity fades uh, fades him away so at this point sonny jim comes downstairs and we're not sure if he heard this or not this is a great suspense as regular viewers know that sonny jim even knows his name but does dougie know that uh, that sonny jim knows the next scene is later in the day, and Janie E. comes into the house with two backpacks worth of incense. A lot of help you were, she says to Harry, who pants happily. She calls to Dougie, who stays off camera, and she says, No dirty bearded men in the house. Uh, he then moves into frame, looking utterly ridiculous, saying, 
unless you mean this scruffy treasure thief, that is. He's in a cheap-looking pirate costume with a painted rudimentary beard on his face. Janie E. is having none of it and asks him, how can you act so calm and collected when our house has a ghost? <laughs> and and Dougie says, Janie E., you just need to eat some lunch. I made you a sandwich. And he did make one, but the bread is mismatched and the lettuce is practically outside of the sandwich, looking more like a garnish. Janie E.'s facial reaction was priceless as she recognized the love that Dougie put into it, but also the craftsmanship. And she says, oh, Dougie, she says while inspecting the sandwich for ingredients. So Dougie goes off happily, practicing his R, and Janie E goes right back to her bags to start up some incense. There are a lot of great interactions in this episode, but the love these two have for each other, plus the awkwardness of the events, made this scene a standout. I loved it. Later that night, we're still inside the house, except no matter what room we see, there is always visibly burning incense. Sonny, Jim, and Dougie are watching a horror movie, a claymation one that, that seems like it should be a TV classic, like a claymation Christmas celebration, but I'm pretty sure it's new for this show. Janie's talking on the phone in the kitchen, saying it's impossible to find someone to do a seance right before Halloween. People think it's fun talking to ghosts? These people are a front line of security between us and our, all, and our afterlives, if you ask me. They should be keeping the peace, not entertaining people who don't understand not to mess with the darker forces. <laughs> Deliveries this episode are great. During the Silver Mustang ad, the uh, sound of the ending music is the tip-off. Uh, Sonny Jim comes in for popcorn uh, sitting in the microwave and asks, Ghosts aren't real, right, Mom? And she answers, No, Sonny Jim, they are not. But you can never be too careful, can you? So Sonny Jim looks like he wants to help, but he won't say anything to her. Janie E. continues her phone call. Well, if you happen to hear of any openings, please call me back right away. Thanks, Beth. And she looks like she's as in charge as ever, but her eyes dart around while, she's ha while she has on her brave face. The last scene fades to dark and comes back up in a lit-by-candles round table near their living room. It looks like the Joneses have to do a seance of their own, on their own. Janie E. has her tablet on the table next to her, and she lowers the screen's brightness for effect, and she needs to squint to read it, and she explains the instructions of a proper seance. <laughs> Dougie is sitting across from her and looks nervous as hell. Sonny Jim is between them with a somewhat unenthused expression on his face. We can only help ourselves sometimes, is Janie E.'s response to Dougie's why are we doing this? And the short of the pure gold of dialogue in this scene is, it's the night before Halloween. Janie's been reading up on seances all day. She knows how to invite and how to how not to invite ghosts. And you get the distinct impression that she's sure of herself. And because she doesn't come out right away and say what could possibly go wrong, maybe she actually does know what she's doing. 
So she definitely has a great memory. She got extremely specific as far as details of Philip's face, and Philip appears behind her, where only Doug can see, and takes offense to Janie t- saying how his beard grows all the way from his nose hair. Dougie tries to, men- uh, to motion Philip without tipping off his family that Philip was there. But it becomes clear that Sonny Jim knows, too, uh, just not until later. Janie E. got through her lengthy introduction and asks, Non-corporeal bearded man, are you there? And Philip, asking with his eyes for Dougie if it's okay to say something, finally sneezes before he says, I am. So Janie E. visibly shivered when he spoke, uh, proving once again that she is being filmed as if she were in a genuine horror movie. To her, Philip is definitely still a monster, though visually he's just a guy caught up in the wrong place, wrong time kind of jam. The juxtaposition is pretty great. So Sonny Jim and Philip make eye contact right about then, and the surprise mixed with pride on Dougie's face was great to see. It said, what a chip off the old block kind of expression, and it was pretty endearing if I have to say so. Now Sonny Jim says, He'll promise not to hurt us, right, Mom? Chaney E. rephrases and asks Philip directly, to which Philip says, I do. And a few other questions go from Sonny Jim to Philip this way, basically affirming that Philip promises nonviolence to anyone who resides in this house or is invited in, including Harry, who woofs politely at the mention of his name. And Janie E. adds on one of her own that Philip will not watch any of the Joneses in the bathroom. Since Philip was so polite of, about everything, Janie E. was in a great mood by the end of the seance, and she scrolled past any banishment paragraphs because you can tell that she felt like she won the day already. Janie E. says, Thank you, non-corporeal bearded man. Please leave our house now. And Philip, on his way out, says, Your mongrel requires sustenance. And Janie E. says, Oh, oh yes, he does. Thank you. And you can tell Dougie knows uh, what went on and that Philip just missed a rough fate at the hand of Janie E. And you can see that he's very proud of Sonny Jim. But, you know, before any kind of heart-to-heart can happen while Janie E. was in the kitchen with Harry, a knock at the door happens. Sonny Jim's face lights up and he practically leaps from the table. And before you know it, he's putting on a cowboy hat and a duster. He opens the door where a few kids are waiting for him and a girl wearing a space helmet touches his arm. Dougie says, is today Halloween? Sonny Jim joyfully says, Halloween party. And he's out the door. Now, Janie E. comes in, wishes him a fun party, and she and Dougie watch him out the window for a while. Then Dougie makes a pirate joke, and Janie E. says to the ceiling, No peeking! And as they run upstairs, she shouts, Where is my, uh, where is me treasure? (laughs) But the camera doesn't follow them. It slowly zooms in on Janie E.'s tablet. The screen blinks on, and we see a large spinning circle. So we know something is loading, but we're not allowed to find out what, because that's when it cuts to credits. 
So it was so fun to drop the Joneses into a proper horror movie trope and watch them maintain their family unit, same as it ever was. Even though the cinematography was different, it was still blatantly obvious what what show we were watching. Though, you know, if you think about it, they're all they've always been in a horror movie tropes. They've been living in a haunted house the whole time. Of course, the genre blending worked perfectly. I enjoy the fact that we'll probably never know what the supernatural horror was that Philip came to warn the Joneses about in the first place. Only on this show can actual supernatural peril take a backseat to a family getting along. I'm sure this bugs some people who might think this indicated a proper cliffhanger, but I think that spinning loading symbol was just a punctuation for this episode. Don't get me wrong, I do want to know why Philip was delivering a message, and I am interested in how he got mixed up and met Janie E instead of Sonny Jim or Dougie. I'm willing to brush it off as he was connected to the color red and she was the closest human to that all red tablecloth. But the more important question is, who was the girl in the space helmet? That girl couldn't have been anyone besides the daughter of the Coopers, right? Across the street, right? The same girl he went to talk to at the end of last episode? As far as I'm concerned, they are officially a thing. Or they're at least becoming a thing. You cannot tell me otherwise. I just wish she'd said something. The only clues we got this time was that she's slightly taller than Sonny Jim, even without the helmet. No other information. Maddening. And yet, I found myself really happy with this episode. Is it a seasonal classic we'll be happy to see every year? The verdict is still out on that. But there are a lot of gems throughout and a lot of love on display, even while Janie E. thought her house was on the front line of a spiritual invasion. I suspect when the leaves start to change next year, I'll wonder if I can replicate a smaller version of those spooky owls Dougie was carving in those pumpkins. And maybe I'll put a bow tie on the skeleton. You know, who am I kidding? It's a classic. We just need time to prove me right. Welcome to the Dougie Love Podcast, where we look into one episode of Twin Peaks Las Vegas, one episode at a time, every Wednesday after a new episode airs. And this episode focuses on the Twin Peaks Las Vegas Thanksgiving special, where Janie E. goes into overdrive to save everything when the Jones house has to be fumigated days before the holiday. The show opens by moving through the Jones house, feasting on its decorations of pumpkins, flowers, corn, and little turkeys and pilgrim characters. I'd be remiss not to call out the one giant stuffed animal turkey, which is amazingly out of place and glorious. It's almost identically shot for shot with the Halloween episode with Janie E. going through the house, primping the decorations, except right at the end, the uh, the camera zooms in on her face and her giant scream. The camera looks down to the floor and zooms in on a cockroach crawling on the hardwood floor, then flattening and sliding into a crack that seems impossible to fit through. The camera immediately is outside the Jones house, turkey and pumpkin decorations covering the yard, prompting birds to fly in, in the trees and from the trees, is a shout from inside the house, which says, Dougie! And next scene, there's a big bug guy in the house with Janie E. He looks just like Phil Bisbee and is played by the same actor, but with no glasses. 
I trust you for some reason, Janie E says, which is the only reason I am not eviscerating you right now. You do realize you are uprooting a family on Thanksgiving, correct? This scene is tense, and I worry for that guy. Janie E rephrases a few more ways before letting him live, and she says, there is no other way, correct? And what finally seals the deal is this comment from the bug guy, not unless you want roaches in your stuffing. (laughs) So we get a hard cut to the Mitchum's living room. Candy is alone, walking past the ringing phone and acting somewhat distracted or somewhat distressed, really. And she seems to have zero interest in addressing it and walks back and forth looking for others. She reminds me of the fireman in Part 8 addressing his alarm bell, but he's st- but she's still candy about it. So she picks up the phone like it's a wet rag and says, oh, instead of hello, when she hears his Janie Eth, though, that she erupts in a flurry of the absolutely mundane aspects of picking out her uniform for the morning, which reveals that she notices the most minuscule differences in seam work quality. Candy pays attention to the details. <clears throat> So she then goes into the kitchen where the brothers are eating a, a giant BLT sandwich on hoagie, <clears throat> excuse me, one each, and uh, she hands the phone over to Bradley because Rod is engrossed in his newspaper. The scene has perfect Bob Newhart patterns. We can't hear Janie E's side of the conversation. So, you know, we get, so sorry to hear. Yes, yes, we do. Yes, the best room in the whole Silver Mustang Motel. Bring anyone you'd like. Giant dogs are no problem at all. And then he says to Rod, make sure they room vac on Monday. And (laughs) then he says, you know, it's like, we love it. Champagne, anything for thee, Mrs. Dougie Jones. So Rod plays a most excellent second banana the whole time, looking earnest and serious and nodding appropriately, even loudly flaps the newspaper page, all while in a Norman Rockwell dad pose. So later that day, we're back in the Jones home. Dougie, Sonny, Jim, and Harry are all in a line like soldiers, while Janie E. is their pacing commander, uh, you know, pacing commanding officer, giving them their marching orders. She says, the fumigation takes one week. This means our Thanksgiving is ruined, but I refuse to accept defeat. Thanksgiving is is in four days, but we are going to do this. And then she explains our cousins and friends and anybody at all, even you, Harry, are welcome at the Silver Mustang in their in their best room. The Joneses have limited time, but they're moving the whole house over there. Now, Dougie says, all of it? And of course, Janie's E's answer is, all of it. <laughs> she's absolutely hysterical when she's overly serious. So I expect that to uh, lead into an old school, the, uh, the Comedy of Errors uh, moving scene is next, but instead the show did it over time lapse, and the decorations just disappeared one by one. Then in the new and much smaller hotel room, we see the decorations filling up the space in a much cozier way. It made me feel like it's a small child's room, the way the decorations are compressed. But you know, then we see a shot of, J- of Janie E. and Dougie surveying the new space once it's complete. Uh, she has her hands on her hips, and Dougie looks like he doesn't know if it's right or not. He gets relieved when she says, well, just one more thing. And then 
They're in the same pose outside their house, but instead, Janie E's tucked into Dougie's arm looking sad. Seeing the next shot of their house, I can see why. There's a multicolored tent over the house. It looks like a bounce house or a circus tent. And Janie E just keeps making an oh sound like a hurting puppy. And uh, Dougie ushers her over to the car and they drive away. Later, the Joneses are in the hotel room trying to make or eat sandwiches while they bump into each other in the tight quarters. Harry's nose is adorably in the shot as he begs, and he also gets in the way. In this silent scene, Janie E's eyes get huge, and we see a shot inside the refrigerator with a dotted outline of a missing turkey. Then Janie E inhales in a worried way, and we get a shot of inside the Jones's kitchen where we see a roasting pan with the same dotted line turkey shape around it. And uh, Janie springs for the phone. <laughs> At the house, the smoke begins to fill the hallway. We get a slow fade to dark, but then the sun comes up over the establishing shot of the Las Vegas skyline. A tell, if I ever saw one, that things will turn out okay. It's now Thanksgiving morning. The camera moves around the cramped hotel room. Dougie turns on the parade on TV, and Sonny Jim is sitting at the table comically with plastic forks. Harry is taking up an entire love seat, leaving almost no place for anyone to sit, uh, laying on the ground, a, uh, lying on the giant stuffed turkey animal like a pillow, and they look like buddies. The pink girls are in the kitchen with Janie E. working on some food dishes. We can hear Janie E. say, Christmas had better not have any hitches. But the camera moves on, and the Mitchums arrive with a giant turkey between them in a pan. Phil stops by with a tiny woman who appears to be a significant other. And uh, before the camera moves on, we hear Janie say to him, I met your brother. <laughs> so I guess that's officially canon now. The apartment scene is positively peaceful, despite being action-packed, and it fades out the uh, it, it and it fades out the just uh, there just as the Joneses' house begins to fade in. The house is dark, but picks pick, yeah, but picks up the multiple colors of the tent filtering in through the windows. A frog bug is walking ominously around on the tile floor of the kitchen. Then it stops, twitches a back leg and flips over dead, glitching into a cockroach. At least, you know, that's what it looked like when I paused the screen. It's it's one of those blink-and-you-miss-it moments, but I definitely saw a big roach-leg formation rather than those distinctive frog-bug legs. The camera pulls up over to the right, and we see Philip Gerard scoot from around the corner, and he gives the camera a smile and a thumbs-up, and a cut to credits. So I'm going to start with the frog bug first. I mean, a frog bug. Holy crap. Second, I'm going to assume that the frog bug's connected to whatever was downloading onto Janie's tablet at the end of the Halloween episode. I'm also going to assume that based on Philip's goofy reaction, that whatever dread we were supposed to feel last time may be all the way completed behind the scenes. This may even wipe the slate clean from any of that dramatic Twin Peaks lore. I mean, I hope not, but I can't imagine how else Lodge stuff can stay in the show and remain funny. I mean, I wouldn't mind if they proved me wrong, but you go too far into the dark and it's hard to find something to laugh at.
So what do I love most about all the frog bug stuff? That the Jones family appears completely oblivious to all these darker undercurrents happening in their house. They're just living in the moment as if they, as if it wasn't even there. And the people who do know about the darker stuff, this time possibly just Philip, decide mugging for the camera is the best approach. This show is wacky. I love that the most important thing is making sure Janie E can put on Thanksgiving Day for her family and friends, and the darkness may not wait for the holidays, but Janie E doesn't wait for the darkness either. And maybe there's a message after all. As long as you have your priorities in order and you're living the right way, the darker things will work themselves out while you're taking care of your responsibilities. <laughs> Welcome to the Dougie Love Podcast, where we look into one episode of Twin Peaks Las Vegas, one episode at a time, every Wednesday after an episode airs. And this episode focuses on the Twin Peaks Las Vegas Christmas special, where Janie E. feels guilty about a free gift, and since Philip Gerard is real, Sonny Jim wonders if the same is true for spirits like Krampus. The episode begins in the standard-issue department store, where Janie E. is checking out at a register and chatting happily with an overly pleasant clerk. Everything is going well, right up until a missed scan on a box labeled The Everything Pad, which is a most excellent name for a MacGuffin if I ever heard one. What's more excellent is the freeze frame and jail cell door slam around the, uh, you know, the sound effect that... Um, that the unscanned pad goes through from the clerk's hand to the shopping bag. So it didn't get scanned. And next thing we see, uh, Janie E. dropping some money into a charity worker's can and then driving home, humming along with Christmas music, then another scene where she's at home putting everything away. Then she checks the receipt and checks it again. And she goes to the closet, verifies that the everything pad is in the closet where she hid it, and checks the receipt again, very confused, and then says this with a twinkle dawning in her eye. Very exciting. A treat. <laughs> and then she begins to imagine, complete with a heartstring transition, that she's controlling her oven from her new tablet, then a contraption that feeds Harry, then all the lights in the house, you know, for mood, and Al Green played low, and then we get a bubble bath generating bubbles all on its own, and then it comes back to Janie E. in the kitchen, where all she says is, A Christmas Miracle. The clerk pops in with an inset thought balloon and winks at her as if it's meant to be. And, you know, then the camera moves down the hall where Sonny Jim is watching what is absolutely the Venture Brothers holiday special with two male friends. They're laughing at one of the ventures uh, when, as one of the ventures starts spouting the spell from Excalibur, though they obviously miss the reference because one of them starts saying Azeroth, Metreon, Zinthos over and over again. Sorry, Jim. Uh, Sonny Jim didn't mind. But, you know, by the time Dr. Venture was being whipped by Krampus, he had an expression on his face that read, Hey, wait a minute. The show's background music at that point had Christmas jingles in it, but it went from a major key to a minor key as the scene faded. Later on, Janie E. is wiping off her makeup, and she has another thought bubble appear, uh, appearance from the store clerk, except that this time... He's handing her the everything pad, and then his boss scolds him, and he is immediately pulled into a jail cell. 
the way they filmed it, I think it was supposed to feel like a, like if Phil Bisbee got fired and Janie E. mutters, everything is fine. Christmas miracle is all. And then the inside imagery of the clerk is beckoning to her from his jail cell. So meanwhile, Sonny Jim is in his bed, checking the corners of his room and windows with his eyes. And after a while, he says a single word, Philip. And Gerard hears it in the waiting room and he fumbles over to a fireplace before fading in around the curtains in Sonny Jim's room while spotlights shine down on them and swoop up from Sonny Jim. Philip's words are surely like a be- like a bear and backwards as usual, but for readability, it's it's uh, you know I'll, I'll type them here forward this time. And um, <clears throat> Gerard says, "You have need," and uh, and Sonny Jim says, "You know, Philip is Krampus real." Uh, Gerard says, "You need not know things such as these," and. Uh, Sonny Jim says, well, you're real. It's a valid question. And Gerard just goes, hmm. So please, Philip, for my safety and my mom and dad's too. And uh, Gerard you know, gives this long, surly pause and says, you know, very well. And um, then Gerard hams it up like a perfect British host getting ready to tell a properly spooky ghost story. And, uh, you know, I, I wish he had a pipe. You know, that was the only thing he was missing. And he says, Krampus is not. Not as you know him, but something like him. And Krampus is his familiar. <laughs> and Sonny Jim goes, whoa, there's something worse than Krampus? And Gerard says, we must not talk about the other. The other is unconcerned with our plane, except for most egregious transgressions, the likes unfathomable to yours. You have nothing to fear, child, not your sire, nor your sires. And uh, Sonny Jim says, but, but why did my world name it Krampus? And uh, Gerard says, is your given name Harry? Is the mongrel Sonny Jim? Such things mean nothing. <laughs> and you know the the concept was uh, uh, was was practically laugh out loud that Philip would say such a mundane comparison, but his delivery was positively chilling. So you know, well played. Uh, they spoke more obtusely for a little while longer, and then uh, Sunny Jim tripped into a phrase that made Philip reveal the Krampus is the, uh, reveal Krampus the familiar. It looked like a featherless owl, and it was tiny, much in line with the actual size gag that finished the Buffy Season 4 Halloween episode. And this Krampus ran over to Sonny Jim, who appeared to be relieved and curious. He took out a cracker from his bedside desk and fed the Krampus. So Gerard said, a righteous offering, intelligent boy. He enjoys the pleasures. So after such a goofy uh, subversion of classic Twin Peaks scenes, Gerard says one more thing in an approving tone. Fears live in darkness. <laughs> so I wonder if there was a cat on set with Sonny Jim when they shot the scene because he was so natural with the creature. And there's a scientific method approach to Sonny Jim's thought process. You know, He even talks to Krampus. Uh, Sonny Jim basically says, I can see why people could be scared of you, especially if you're right in front of their face. So I could see Sonny Jim building up confidence, and he asks Gerard one final question, and he says, 
who's familiar is he right now? And Gerard just says, child. So Gerard delivers the line as if Sonny Jim was overstepping and that not getting an answer was inevitable, but it makes me curious about if the offering made Sonny Jim Krampus's new master and Philip was declaring it true officially. I know, I know, it's a trick of the grammar, but that would be pretty badass. Uh, though I know Harry wouldn't match up with that thing as part of a pack, but it's just oddball enough that I could see it anyway. Still, don't count on it. Uh, back to the show, it moves to the next morning without any more of my own personal tangents. Sunshine just fades in with the Joneses' kitchen, and Janie finishes her coffee, picks up the everything pad, and then drives to the store. The back and forth between her and the store manager was priceless, but I'll only include its conclusion here for the recap, you know, because it's going to double in size. There was a lot of words there. So manager's like, no receipt. Janie says, no receipt. No return, no receipt, no return. I don't want to return. And the manager says, you can exchange it for store credit. That's all. And Janie says, ah, and she storms off and she leaves the box. And the manager just says, miss your pad. So Janie looks flustered but relieved as she drives home, but you can tell she knew that she made the right decision for her. So time passes, and we get one last scene after Sonny Jim gets home. He's trying to wrap a medium-sized box. And um, Janie says, are you and Winnie doing something tonight? And uh, Sonny Jim says, the gingerbread campfire, did you forget? And Janie says, of course not, and looks at the package and says, here, let me. But then Sonny, uh, but then, you know, Janie E stops short of wrapping a bow around the box and instead teaches Sonny Jim how to wrap it himself as their vocal tracks fade and the Christmas style background music takes the foreground. We see Dougie, uh, you know, we, we see Dougie come in. He's dressed completely as Santa. And in the background, we can hear his ho, ho, ho's. Uh, Janie E saying, Dougie, Sonny Jim is much too old for that now. But Dougie says, no one, Janie E, is too old to believe in Christmas spirit. And Janie E is cooing. And she says, ooh, Santa. <laughs> then the voice tracks fade out completely and the credits start to roll. It's a nice touch uh, for how every scene in the house, usually playing rooms, are decked out to the gills, Janie E style. Plus, you know, I'm not sure if this is officially a thing, but there was a find the Santa hat aspect to it that I'm not sure was a game I made up or if it was an intentional touch. Either way, my favorite was the one on top of the toaster oven. That had some kind of shaving cream or something forming a smile on the glass under the hat. All right, so we're not going to talk about the Big Bad Demon. In fact, we're not going to talk about it at all. Instead, I'll ask this question. Did anybody else hope, like hell, that Winnie is the first name of the Cooper girl? There was nice execution of, of form and the characters all throughout this episode, even the little touches with Sonny Jim's friends in the TV watching, in the TV watching scene. Uh, the clerk obviously stole the show, and I wish he'd made it into the scene with that manager at the end. The only reason he doesn't get top honors is because of the CGI team that created that adorable little lodge monster out of Krampus. If you already like hairless cats, you've fallen in love. So theme-wise, I'm fairly impressed that they managed to put together a typical American consumerism-focused story with a British traditional ghost story approach to the holiday and made it fairly seamless. 
it really seemed and, until about two thirds of the way through the the Gerard scenes that Janie E was going to be served punishment for her unintentional theft. But the whole show really turned sweet from that moment that the creature ate the cracker. The the one tricky thing is only having Dougie in the final moments of the show rather than focusing on the family as a unit, but the Thanksgiving special covered that ground fairly well anyway, so I guess that they were going for not being repetitive. Really, I only asked myself, where's Dougie, one time while watching, so I admit it worked out you know, fairly well for how he was used as a happy exclamation point at the end. All told, this one goes places you'd never guess, and it managed to keep me happy the whole time. Thanks for the present, Jones family. <laughs> Welcome to the Dougie Love Podcast, where we look into one episode of Twin Peaks Las Vegas, one episode at a time every Wednesday after a new episode airs. And this episode focuses on the Twin Peaks Las Vegas Valentine's Day special, where Dougie buys into a timeshare unbeknownst to Janie E., and Sonny Jim has a heart-to-heart with his special someone. The Joneses start the episode on vacation. You can tell with all the picturesque plant life that the location is, is a resort town, and its unrecognizable appearance gives the impression it's tucked away like the prisoner's Port Marion. The theme song credits opened over new images of, the, of this new place, along with a classy harp-based rendition of the Jones theme. And instead of ending in the Jones house per usual, the final shot is in the main hotel building, jutting from the ground like a gigantic hobbit house. I need to know where this resort is. When the music settles down, so does the camera into Dougie and Janie E's room, which is all decked out in red heart-shaped pillows and flower vases. Through a door in the back of the shot, we can see Sonny Jim happily bouncing on his bed in the, adjoin- in the adjoined room, and Janie E is visibly impressed. Janie E says, Dougie, this is wonderful. How did you manage this? So, um... You know, Dougie admits what happened here, and he says, we just have to go in for a meeting, Janie E., and this whole stay is paid for. And her happiness momentarily skips when she realizes that she's there for likely a timeshare sales pitch. But, you know, her smile snaps right back on, and she says, well, what can that hurt? Where's the spa? (laughs) And the next scene is either later that afternoon or the next morning. We got Sonny Jim texting on his phone as he wanders down the hall as Dougie and Janie E. wish him well before they go into the meeting. And the woman on the other side of a desk greets them. You know, we get everything being cordial. The salesperson begins. And two separate audio fade builds with a slight camera shift imply a rather boring sales pitch, you know, and, you know, time passing. Janie E. isn't at all interested, so she keeps trying to look out the window at the scenery until she hears the saleswoman say which your package already has, but you can still upgrade. And uh, Janie E says, what do you mean by your package? And the salesperson says, the package that included all of those lovely pillows and flowers. That's just the tip of the iceberg. You know, so, you know, Janie's like, I'm sorry. And, um, you know, the salesperson's like, you're already a part of our exclusive resort family. 
And Janie's MI now is just excellent delivery. And Janie's eyes go into full I bet she did mode right as the scene cuts. So classic time there. Um, I wish they showed us exactly what kind of reaming that she gave the salesperson, but I do appreciate the immediate shift to the wide shot of the blue sky and clouds. Right before we see a shot from above looking straight down on Sonny Jim, he's lying on his back with his puffy winter coat on the luscious green grass you could ask for. So I adore that Sonny Jim and Winnie are cloud watching and that they're sharing their skies with each other by their phone cameras. So Sonny Jim's like, you know, what about this one? And his phone image turns from Winnie's face, which is adorable in earmuffed, to a cloud. And um, Winnie says, definitely a bear. So uh, Sonny Jim's like, you know, photorealistic or cartoon? So th- these two have a neat little patter. And, you know, Winnie says, cartoon. His ear's on the top right of his, uh, and her and her other ear is in the middle under that gray part. And, um, you know, Sonny Jim's like, I definitely see that. So even though they're states apart, they're finding a way to pretend and experience like they had the same exact sky above their heads. It's really sweet. The whole conversation is endearing like this, and it works better than seen when I type it out for this recap. But, you know, trust me, it'll make you smile. Um, the scene ends with Winnie wishing Sonny Jim uh, across the, you know, wishing that Sonny Jim was across the street like he always is. And, uh, you know, then she says, you know, after all, it's Valentine's Day. And Sonny Jim says, yeah, that's for sure, but I'm definitely getting you something. And uh, when he says, really? And her face explodes into a giddy smile. Yeah, we get the kids saying goodbye in that really cute way when it's way too early to say I love you. And when Sonny Jim hangs up, his mouth ter- forms a, a stressed rectangle. And you can tell he's trying to figure out what in the world he could possibly get Winnie. So it's like really endearing. Uh, The show goes into a Wes Anderson style song montage and uh, Janie E is racing around from office to office, giving people all the what for that she could. uh, While Sonny Jim is looking around the gift shop after gift shop, ruling out kitchen t-shirts. And one time we see Dougie walking past a pie stand, being tempted even as he forces himself to keep going. You can tell he feels bad, but it doesn't seem to matter at all to Mission Mode Janie E. Uh, The song montage ends, and all the Joneses ended up in a store that sells curio items. So Dougie says, you know, Janie E, I'm sorry about this whole mess. I thought it'd be a nice way to give you the world one piece at a time, but I wasn't expecting to, uh, I wasn't expecting it to buy itself quite so easily. And Janie E says, oh, Dougie, if I wanted the world, I'd take the world. And she plays, you know, she does this playful tiger swipe thing with her hand. You know, it's like, oh man, Janie E. Um, It's all taken care of anyway, she says. The nice man I just talked to says we'll be staying on the house for the week. And she said with a sparkle in her eye uh, that uh, they were very sorry things began the way it did here. (laughs) And the two continue to talk, and Janie E. explains how alive that quest for commerce justice made her feel. And the camera shifts to the other side of the room from them. While Janie E. accepts Dougie's apology... Uh, We get Sonny Jim frantically looking around the shop until he starts to slowly walk toward the camera. And then he, you know, then he starts looking relieved and he gets right in front of us 
and is lifting up something below the camera sight line. And he smiles and then audibly says, <laughs> and in the background, we get Janie E saying, let's all get some pie and it cuts to credits. So I wish someone somewhere would admit where they filmed this episode, but based on how quiet everyone's being, the non-disclosure agreement probably apply to the filming locations too, which is bizarre for tourism purposes, but you know, what can you do? I expect one of these days someone who's been to the location will reveal the name on social media, but so far mum's the word. As far as the story goes, I don't think Sonny Jim needed to worry about Winnie's reaction, but you know... He's young enough that it's completely believable that he'd think a gift is a make-it-or-break-it moment. Um, Also, his stress gives us the gift of the Aardman animation-style rectangular mouth shape that I never knew I wanted to see on a real person until I saw it on Sunny Jim. I'm also glad that Janie E. took the already-bought-a-timeshare plot as a personal challenge rather than focusing on the Dougie screwed-up aspect. It helped that Dougie obviously didn't know what he'd done, but in other shows, that would have been a rift-maker rather than an obstacle. And we could all tell that Janie E. loved having a mission, so it's nice to see that things can go to hell in the middle, and everyone still comes together at the end. So. Take care, Joneses. You know, good luck with Winnie, Sunny Jim. Uh, love all around to all of you, and may all you readers and listeners have an equally loving and much less stressful Valentine's Day with a full sky of clouds to talk about. All right, that sums up absolutely everything we have at Ruminations Radio Network on the Dougie Love Podcast. So, um, Thanks much for listening, and uh, you have been listening to the Dougie Love Podcast, a production of Ruminations Radio Network and 25YL Radio. If you resonate with what you're hearing, please subscribe, rate, and review our show, and we would love to connect with you on Twitter at Blue Rose TF Pod, on Counter Social at Blue Rose Task Force Podcast, and Instagram and Facebook at Blue Rose Task Force. You can find me at JPB underscore Little Green on Twitter and John underscore The underscore Peaky on Instagram. Visit RuminationsRadioNetwork.com for additional great shows such as Brevity Box and Blue Rose Task Force Podcast. And join all the hosts from Ruminations Radio Network, myself included, on our Discord channel, Ruminations Radio Cafe. Find any number of classic 25YL Twin Peaks articles, including my full Electricity Nexus column at 25YearsLaterSite.com and join us on Discord at 25YL, a Twin Peaks server. You can find all the uh, Twin Peaks Las Vegas material at thejbcave.blogspot.com. And if you want to get me to revive Dougie Love Pod in earnest, let me know at Blue Rose Task Force Podcast at gmail.com. All right. See you, listeners, someday, somewhere.